morning. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. I uh, invite you to turn with me in uh, the Pew Bibles to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. You'll find it in your Pew Bibles on page 986. It will also be on the screen uh, for you to follow along. We are looking, Pastor Bert and I are looking at uh, the parables of Jesus under the theme, Windows into God's Kingdom. We, we want to try to peek into things, to understand things more broadly. Uh, I confess that this sermon uh, doesn't deal at all with Mother's Day. I may sneak a reference to mothers in there, however, so be alert. We're going to pick it up at verse 19 when the person known to many of us who are students of Scripture, uh, the rich young ruler, comes uh, to talk with Jesus. I just want to alert you to the previous verses uh, where little children were being brought to Jesus and his disciples rebuked them and he says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. And then notice the transitional phrase, just then. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will, be, what then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and then sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. 
He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning from the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius, and when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Did you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. So what gets you out of bed in the morning? And what keeps you motivated to the task to which you are assigned? What helps you endure? What gives you stick to Those are important questions because they get to the issue of motivation. And many in our culture would argue positively for a description that our culture is a meritocracy, that you earn what you get and you get what you deserve. There's no freebies. There's no free lunch is a very common proverb in our culture. We are expected to work hard. We are expected to attain. It's the middle of the month of May. Mothers have been getting kids out of bed since September and getting them to school. And mothers and fathers have been asking kids since September, is your homework done? And soon... It'll be the end of May, the beginning of June, and the end of June, and graduations will be upon us. And kids, students will get diplomas after grade 8 or after grade 12 or after three years of college or university or a postgraduate degree. They will have earned their degree. They will have achieved because... Mothers and fathers and teachers help them to endure, to stick to it, to write the papers that they had to write, to complete the assignments that they had to complete, to work cooperatively with fellow students, and to pass the exams at the end of the day. And those who didn't achieve won't graduate. They haven't earned the right. Some who graduate will be singled out. They will get awards for math, for science, for English, for creative writing. Some 
will be awarded a scholarship to help them at their next level. Why? Well, because they've been motivated to work hard. They have achieved. And so they'll be singled out. And one will be the valedictorian for the class. All of that, we think, is fairly normal. And so we look into this world and we see about people who work hard and who endure and who achieve. We will reward the diligent, the hard worker. We will not look kindly upon the slacker. That's just the general way in which it goes. Jesus, as he is walking towards Jerusalem, which he is, he is coming to the time when he will be crucified. Jesus is taking every opportunity to teach his disciples about insight into the kingdom. He's helping them peek through the window, so to speak. He's helping them to understand what the kingdom looks like. And the kingdom of our God looks quite different than the kingdom of our world and of the flesh. Because the kingdom of our world is built indeed upon achievement and upon attainment, whereas the kingdom of our God emphasizes grace. In the words of Phil Yancey that I quoted to you some weeks ago, there is nothing you can do to make God love you any more. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you any less. God comes to you with a gift of grace, and he tells you, to embrace it. But that is upsetting to the values that we commonly deal with. And so Jesus has to help us struggle with these things. And when the little kids come, the disciples rebuke them. Jesus is too busy for that. He's too focused for that. And then Jesus rebukes the disciples. He says, don't hinder these kids. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. These are the vulnerable ones. These are the ones who are susceptible to what is ever going around. These are the ones who need their mothers and their fathers and their community to protect and to embrace them and to bless them and to teach them and to encourage them, to help them to find words about what do you remember about Jesus. It was friendly. It was kind that he died on the cross, that he rose again from the dead. On May 18th, we celebrate ascension, that he ascended to heaven, is enthroned, and that he looks after us. And how does he look after us? He challenges us through song, through confession, through assurance, through the word, through the sacrament. He nurtures, he encourages, he encourages, he blesses, he wants us to grow up, and he wants us to mature. And part of the maturation process that he is really getting at here is he wants us to think. He wants us to examine the issue from different sides, not merely from the side that we are accustomed to. You get what you earn, you get what you deserve but from the side that we're not accustomed to. You are a recipient of grace, of God's free, unmerited gift 
of life and love. He challenges us to think. Some of you drive Ford cars parked in the parking lot. You'll drive them home from here. Henry Ford said this about thinking. Thinking is the hardest work humans can do, which probably explains why so few people engage in it. Ouch. Develop the car, Model T Ford, is probably his biggest legacy, which has some you know, negatives attached to it, is the whole production assembly line, right? Where people become sort of machines and robots sticking things on eight or 12 hours a day. But he says, you have to think. And so, this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus. And he says, what must I do to inherit, to earn eternal life? What good do I have to do? What do I have to achieve? And Jesus makes some comments about good, but we're not going to talk about that for a moment. He says, keep the commandments. And then he lists the commandments off the second table. And then he adds, and love your neighbor as yourself. But a quick test, which commandment did he skip? You shall not covet. You shall not covet. Isn't that interesting? Maybe he felt quite self-sustained. He didn't need to covet what you had because he had more than enough. Jesus doesn't enter into that one. It's just an interesting thing to think about. And then the rich young ruler says, "Uh, I've kept them all. And we think, really? What arrogance. Except if you read the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, he says, with regard to the law, blameless. He was a Pharisee in all likelihood. He's a rich, young ruler. He was a person of influence, of authority. And yet, he had a a sense of incompleteness within him. He wondered what was still lacking. And Jesus said, what is still lacking in you is an understanding of who or what truly you serve. You're not serving the living God. You're serving your wealth. It has a grip on you. It has a hold on you. The values of this world have a hold on you. So tell you what, if you want to enter into eternal life, give away all that you have to the poor and then come and follow me. And the young man went away sad. Now, please understand this. Jesus is not saying to any one of us, who is reasonably wealthy, that you now have to give everything away. Unless, of course, you are enslaved to what you have. So you have to think. You have to think about how you are a good steward of all that God has given and provided. Jesus is not saying this is a a rule that applies to everyone. It was to this particular individual who felt unsettled and uncertain. 
And Jesus challenges him. And the young man goes away sad because he is unwilling to let go. He is unwilling to trust his heavenly father like a child trusts a parent. He is unwilling. And then Jesus makes a comment, it is hard for the rich, for the self-sustained, for the self-controlled to enter into the kingdom of God. And notice what the disciples do. They begin to ask questions. They begin to think. To ask questions, to think, is to begin to discover reality. And social scientists, teachers, will have students in their classrooms and they will ask them the W5s, the who, the what, the when, the where, right? All of those things. And then the scientist will also come and say, yeah, well, we've got to ask the how. How is it that this works? And, and, and the disciples come and they ask, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus gives this little illustration. It's, it's so hard for the rich. It's like the biggest land animal in Palestine going through the smallest known aperture in your house, namely the eye of your needle. Impossible. But with God, Jesus says, nothing is impossible. Because God is a God of grace. He grants to us what we cannot achieve. He grants to us what we cannot earn. He grants to us what we so desperately need, namely relationship with him. But, but note that the disciples aren't finished with one question, namely who then can be saved. No, now Peter comes and he says, well, what about me? What about us? Because, well, we've left everything. We've left family. I left my fishing business, which was pretty good. Thank you very much. I left everything. We've left everything to follow you. What about us? What is in it for us? Pretty challenging. And you need to think. You need to look at it from different sides. And then Jesus says, well, in the future, not in the immediate, but in the future, well, you'll be judges over Israel and anyone who has left father or mother and all the other things will receive a hundredfold. Well... Is that sort of immediately satisfying? I don't think so. But Jesus, remember, is a teacher. He is using every opportunity. And you have to ignore chapter and verse divisions in the Gospels here. Because if you would stop at the end of chapter 19 and not go into chapter 20, you would miss the fact that he is building this story of the, uh, uh, the workers in the vineyard right upon this conversation that he is having. So every once in a while, skip 
the verse of chapter divisions. They're not inspired. Okay? They're just not. Just skip them. If you, have to, if you want, want to read a, a book that deals with it that way, just read Eugene Peterson's The Message. They have sort of chapter and verse at, or at the top, but not in the text. So you're invited just simply to read as the text unfolds. And so Jesus comes and tells a story. It's a simple story. There's not a lot of symbolism in here that the word is the, or the seed is the word of God or in the contrast in another parable that the seed are the people of God. This is just a story based on an agricultural reality. Growing vines and grapes was a common thing in Israel. But you should know, and I'm sure you do, that growing a vineyard is very labor-intensive. You need to plant. You need to direct the branches. You need to prune. You need to harvest. And then you need to do it all over again. It's just very, very labor-intensive. Now, another thing that I need to just say about this, this story didn't happen in reality. This is a made-up story. Jesus is spinning a tale to help us to think, to help us put ourselves in the position of what would we have thought? What would we have done? How would we have reacted? Or how would I have reacted? He says, well, there was a vineyard grower, and in the morning, at six in the morning, he went to the union hall, to the marketplace, where laborers of the day who were available were standing for vineyard owners to come and hire them. The, the day was 12 hours long, 6 in the morning to 6 in the evening, split up into three-hour segments, so 6 to 9, 9 to 12, 12 to 3, 3 to 6. That was a full day. And so he sends them out to the vineyard with this agreement. You will get a denarius. For the day. Now, a denarius was the common wage for a laborer for a day. Let me try to put it into British Columbia terms. The reality of a minimum wage in this province is $16.75 an hour. Mothers encourage their teenagers always to find a job. You'll get $16.75 an hour. Times 12 hours. $201 a day. That's the equivalent. Okay? A denarius. Not $212, $201 a day. A denarius, $201 a day. And they go. Then the owner of the vineyard comes back at nine and he says, sees other people standing there. Why, why they weren't there at six, we're not knowing. It's probably because mother's been trying to get them out of bed since six and finally has succeeded. Why they're there at 12 and why they're there at three and why they're there at five? Well, the excuse is that there was no one here to hire us. Well, they were probably absent, but that's irrelevant. What is important is that the owner of the vineyard 
says, I will pay you what is right. And that you would do the math in your head. Well, if you work 12 hours, you get a denarius. If you work 9 hours, you get 3 quarters. If you work 6 hours, you get a half. And if you work uh, 1 or 3 hours, you get a quarter. And if you work 1 hour, you get a twelfth. I'll pay you what is right. And they go. Then at the end of the day, the owner of the vineyard says to his foreman, he says, well, gather them all together, and I want you to pay them in this way. I want you to pay the one who worked one hour first, and then the one who worked nine, and the one who worked six, uh, or, or the one who worked three and six and nine and then twelve. And so the one who works five hours, or one hour, gets a denarius, $201. Now you can imagine that mother would be pretty happy when he comes home. I finally got you out of bed. Finally got you to put away your iPhone, or your iPad, or your Game Boy. I finally got you to go 201 bucks. Wow. And then, now this person who's worked three hours, perhaps, perhaps he's already worked three quarters of an hour elsewhere, or a day elsewhere, gotten three quarters of a denarius, came back to the marketplace, was hired by this vineyard owner, and he gets paid a denarius, but he's already got three quarters of a denarius. Imagine his mother's happiness. And you just do the math along the way. These people who have, are the Johnny-come-lately seem to be doing really, really well. Thank you very much. And the people who have worked all day long, standing over here, looking at the foreman coming down, passing out the denarii, must be doing math in their head. Twelve times two hundred and one. I wrote it down. 2,412 bucks. Imagine coming home to mother with that. Wow. Except they get 201. And in colloquial language, they're pissed. They're not happy at all. And you know what? I feel some sympathy. What do you mean? A denarii. Just one? I've been here 12 hours. I worked hard. And it was 34 degrees in the afternoon. And these guys who worked an hour, they get the same as me? That's not fair. How many mothers have heard their children say that? That's not fair. But remember why Jesus tells the story. He is not telling it for an example upon which you and I can base economic policy. That's not why he's telling it. He's telling it because the disciples who have questions, who then can be saved, and what's in it for us, are wondering, 
how it is that they will inherit eternal life. And he wants them to think. And so Jesus says to these grumblers and complainers, and I think I would have been amongst them, Jesus says, "Um, did you not agree for a denarius? See, he asked them a question. And when you ask a question, you're forced to think. Did you not agree? Second question. Can I not do with what is mine what I desire? And if I want to give to the one-hour guy the same as I give to what you agreed to accept, Is that not my right? And then the third question. Are you envious? Are you jealous? See, he's making us think. He's making us go inside. Because what motivates? Is it what we earn, what we achieve in the kingdom of God? Or is it an understanding that we haven't earned anything? That we have been given what is great value, namely relationship with God, based on the grace of God. There is nothing I can do to make God love me anymore. And there's nothing I can do to make God love me any less. And what should motivate me now is a sense of gratitude that even though I'm a Johnny-come-lately, I still have received the full largesse of the kingdom of God. God loves the latecomer as well as the early bird. I read a story not so well a number of years ago now, so that's not so long ago, about the impact of the end of apartheid in South Africa on the church in Australia. You'll know there are many people of reform persuasion in South Africa, and after apartheid ended and uh, the African National Congress took over authority uh, in, in South Africa, many people who were white left. And some of them went to Australia. And they came to this town where there had been a little reformed church for a whole number of years. And they began to worship at this church. First of all, one family came. They were wonderfully welcomed. Then a second, and a third, and a fourth. And they were all welcomed because now the church was growing again. And the responsibilities were being spread out again. And the budget was easier to attain again. And when volunteers were asked for, they were available again. But then family six came, and seven came, and eight came, and nine came, and 51 and 52 came, and pretty soon they outnumbered the people who had started the church. And now they were resented because this is no longer my church. And the lesson, it was never your church. 
It was always the church of Christ. Now, there are all sorts of complications with that with regard to South Africa and all that sort of stuff, but I'm just telling you the the story, the illustration about how we have a sense of ownership. This is mine. This is what I want. But Jesus comes to us and says, wait a minute, you are mine. And this is what I want. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. We need to think about the power dynamic in our own communities. Who decides? Who operates? Is it me? Is it us? Is it Jesus? Remember, he died not so long ago, but you remember finance minister John Crosby when Joe Clark was prime minister of Canada? Some of you are, like me, ancient enough to remember that. John Crosby was the finance minister and he brought, brought in a budget and he said, this is short-term pain for long-term gain. You remember that? This is short-term pain for long-term gain. And then an election was called and the conservatives were booted out and Pierre Trudeau came back in because no one wanted to have short-term pain even though that stood for long-term gain. Never forgotten that. And then there's this other proverb that says, there is no gain without pain. And then there's this truth of Jesus. My pain for your gain. So if you have a hard time changing the values of this world to motivate you, because after all, we should get what we earn. We should keep what is ours. I invite you to engage in an exercise. The next time you feel holding on so strongly to, those, to that attitude. Look to the cross of Jesus where it was his pain for my gain. And then I believe thanksgiving will begin to bubble up and overflow. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the storytelling ability of Jesus. And thank you for the reality of uh, his love for us. And thank you of the reality of your grace so abundantly poured out. It's amazing uh, to us. Uh, But we struggle because we are caught in the tension between this world and the reality of the kingdom, which is an upside-down world. And so we pray that you would help us to deal with the struggle. You would help us not to grumble that you would help us to think, to think about the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So hear our prayer and bless us as we approach the table, remembering all that Jesus said and taught so that we may reflect your kingdom value. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. 
You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.